I often, in nonprofit work, it's often about showing the resolution and then showing how we got there. So it helps people feel good about what they're about to read because they're not worried. And I think that giving people that hope up front is really helpful. So often we will drop people into the resolution and then work backwards. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On today's episode, I'm joined by Don Crawford. Don is the engine behind BC slash DC Ideas and has dedicated her career to good. Before launching her consultancy in 2010, she earned her chops in 10 years of communication leadership roles for public health, healthcare, and youth-focused nonprofits. Working for nonprofits is Don's dream job. And you can tell from our conversation where we dive into all things communications. Communications, in some ways, is the thing that we can provide donors in response to their gift. It's what communicates value. It's what shows impact. It's what builds confidence in and connection with your cause. And Don gives us some practical ways that you can do that. So Don, now you work exclusively with nonprofits, but I'm curious what actually sparked you to begin working with nonprofits? Like why choose that path as a communications professional? Yeah. Um, so definitely my first realization that you could get employed by nonprofit was at a zoo. So I used to live in Denver. Um, I was in college. Love the Denver Zoo. My, yes. Yeah, the Denver Zoo incredible. is awesome. I went to a party there yeah. for the NIO conference. Um, oh, wow. Pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. So um, I was in college undergrad for journalism degree for news editorial. And I knew I didn't want to move to Nebraska to be an a journalist, but I knew I wanted to do communications work and write for a living for, you know, in, in fact-based writing for a living. And so I realized that there's people at zoos that write brochures and talk to the media and write websites and, um, you know, create print campaigns and those sort of things. So that was really my first aha moment. And from there, it's all I wanted to do was to communicate nonprofit for communicate for nonprofits and tell their stories. And that is where I've always been. Um, I waited. I was patient out of college and I got a job at a child abuse nonprofit in Denver and then worked my way up. I've only worked for a for-profit company um, for three months and I quit that job. And then we started BCDC Ideas, which is for-profit but we don't make a lot of profit. So, you know, we're more, it's more of a social enterprise than we are a for-profit agency. And I love that you got your journey started with the zoo. <laughs> and so yeah. I'm curious, so what was your first job? Like, what do you remember like the first thing you had to write? Because I, I do think we miss out sometimes on all of the writing that goes into everything, yeah. you know, not only a nonprofit, yeah. but other things. So do you remember like what that first thing was or what you were focused Absolutely. on early on? Yeah, so I worked with the the Kemp Foundation in Denver, and it was a child abuse prevention nonprofit. And um, so, really writing heavy duty, you know, education and um, guiding parents on um, child abuse prevention. So, not only how to help manage their own kids better, but um, how to spot and see child abuse in other in other families and other situations. So, it definitely helped write. 
uh, donor profiles uh, for the newsletter. We had a big print newsletter that was mailed out to everybody once a quarter. It was like big newsprint style and it was big oversized print with beautiful photos. And yeah, so I did a lot of the kind of donor profiles, but then also talking to the program providers who were helping um, heal and give therapy to kids who were abused. So it was a really <laughs> very uh, big responsibility for somebody right out of school of discussing very adult issues um, when you're just trying to become an adult. <laughs> In, indeed. And I think that's one of the challenges many nonprofits have is how do you actually yeah. communicate or talk about the issue in a way that doesn't exaggerate, but also still compels exactly. and shares truth. Yes. But is also persuasive because, you know, ultimately there is still the, a persuasion element to how writing typically works at nonprofits to try to, you know, showcase yeah. a need. And so for those that are in nonprofits that do have sensitivity or are working on, on those types of subjects, what kind of maybe framing or advice would you provide them to how they should write for that need? Yeah, um, we're, we are really big on letting people share their story when when they're ready. And that when I actually first came to Kemp, that they were telling composite stories about kids. It was literally stitching together three different kids' stories to make them what they felt more compelling, but also to hide the privacy of the child. And um, I worked really hard in my time there on figuring out paths to telling the truth about real kids and real families who have dealt with child abuse and come through in a better way. And so my time there, I helped them write an annual report that was all true stories, true stories about social workers, true stories about moms who had come through postpartum depression, um, true stories about kids who had found a more loving foster care situation. So I think for us, it's not, um, not shying away from the tough questions and it's figuring out a way of being um, compassionate with the people who want to, to share their stories and doing it in a way that is respectful and beautiful and compelling. And we find that the, the truth is the most compelling thing that people can share. Indeed. And I think the interesting thing, though, is that not only identifying that there is a story to be told, but actually yeah. kind of extracting that story in a way that doesn't, you know, um, push someone beyond what they do want to share but then also yes. then, in some ways, putting that story together becomes quite difficult to do when you're actually taking the inputs and then trying to craft it in a way to communicate it out. And I think story is such an, really an over-socialized topic yeah. right now um, across a lot of different sectors, but specifically in nonprofits, it's all about story. What's your story? What are the stories you're telling? And so I'm curious through your experience of years is what, how do you, how do you structure a story? Do you have tips on writing a story? Kind of getting a little more practical. How would you advise people to not only uncover the story, but actually write the story? Is there frameworks that you've used that are helpful? Yeah, I'm very thankful for my journalism background in that, um, that typically I like to drop people in the middle of the action in the beginning. So um, whether you bring people to that moment where, you know, child abuse in particular, where a kid is in a loving home and then work your way backwards. Um, but really you want that 
I often in nonprofit work, it's awesome. It's often about showing the resolution and then showing how we got there. So it helps people feel good about what they're about to read because they're not worried (laughs) about the poor person, (laughs) you know? And I think that giving people that hope up front is really helpful. So often we will drop people into the resolution and then work backwards. Um, You know, and I think, or we do the exact opposite. So we're showing um, where people are and how people are helping them. So we're also creating a video series right now where we start in a parent's homes um, to show what it's like to be a parent. And then we take the kid to daycare. And so we're kind of showing both the family home situation, but also this, you know, very constructed um, educational setting. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's about getting, giving somebody something meaty up front and then kind of constructing the story after that. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think knowing that you can structure stories in different ways and there's not a single solution, but there are frameworks to say, this is kind of how you tell a story. I think it's helpful for maybe those listening that don't have a journalism background and maybe are intimidated by that, but identifying, you know, how do you actually, you know, take some of these story frameworks and just kind of fill them in and begin to tell that story and get better and better um, at it. I know I was talking to someone else recently on the podcast and we were talking through this idea of storytelling or like the creative process. And it was like, the thing that is missed often is actually going out and doing it. <laughs> it's, you know, yeah. we want to learn, yeah. we want to like be like, Oh, well, how do I do this? How do I do this? Or what about this issue? What about that issue? Or how do we keep privacy and all of that? And it's like, have you written a story yet? You know, like, yeah. have you actually done the work to actually do it and put it out? Because I think yes. through that process, you, you learn and you get feedback. And, and I, you know, as a creative, as someone that's, you know, in writing, you, you know, feedback is an essential ingredient to the creative process. And yes. it's not something I believe we are naturally gifted at as humans. <laughs> I think there's, there's a, there's <laughs> yeah. a typical avoidance of conflict and feedback seems to kind of ride that line. And, and I would, kind of love to get your feedback. You know, you've been creative uh, in an organization as a creative, but also advising organizations and being a creative yourself. How should, how do you get better at feedback, both giving it and receiving it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm in a unique position. So I run client services for our agency and we work with usually between 10 to 15 nonprofits at any time. And I am on the front lines of doing client services for all those folks. So that essentially means I have 10 to 15 different bosses giving me feedback on our work <laughs> on a weekly basis, plus having my team, which I'm you know, giving and receiving feedback from, and I get to work with my husband. So I'm also giving and receiving feedback from somebody that I love every day. <laughs> So, um, I have you're, a lot you're in of like a feedback, feedback cocktail that you're exactly. not sure you should drink. <laughs> exactly. It is like feedback on steroids. And um, so I've learned a lot about different types of personalities and how they receive feedback and how to get feedback from them and how that I think you know, and in this agency setting, I have this amazing opportunity of seeing so many people function. We've had over a hundred clients in the last 10 years. So I've literally been able to see how a hundred different people deal with receiving feedback and giving feedback. Um, So it is really tough. And it's something that is critical though, to the creative process is feedback. It is so important to 
get outside of your head. Cause the other thing about working with a hundred different people in the last 10 years is that it's, everybody has a different perspective on the world and a different thing to add and a different thing to contribute. And that it really does, every product is better with feedback. Um, so yeah, I think, yes, that's, that's why I know so much about feedback. <laughs> so any, any practical tips on specifically like giving feedback? So if you're, you know, yeah. let's say, and I, and I think this happens a lot. So many of our listeners can relate is that they might be an organization that don't necessarily have a creative team internally and they're, yeah. they're working with an outside group but they're not experienced fully with it, but they do have feedback to give to the creatives or the agency that they're working with. But sometimes it's hard or you almost hesitate to give it because you don't know exactly how to fix it. You just know it doesn't, isn't working or doesn't feel right. And so any advice for the client side on how to work with an agency, even like yours, um, as they're developing creative campaigns and uh, marketing strategies? I mean, I think what's interesting about people who create things a lot is that we're used to rejection a lot. Um, we're used to being told that it's not the right idea. It's not exactly right. So um, it's okay to give us feedback, but it's also okay to know that we get, we receive rejection a lot. So maybe we're, you know, not to be mean, right? I think there's this weird thing that we receive certainly as an agency of like, well, why couldn't you like, why didn't you know that this was a thing that we needed to do without us, without telling us, so I think that just reminder that we're not living your world in and out every day. So as an agency, we are an expert in creating strategies that deploy your communications and that we really rely on our clients to be the experts on their content. So that what we're bringing is that ability to package it and deploy it in the most effective way, but that the knowledge is always the clients, right? That whether it's talking about a specific kind of bird or talking about childhood education, that the client is really that source of knowledge. So I think that, you know, with clients um, being able to share their knowledge, but also recognizing when their agency maybe needs a little bit more depth in understanding the content, I think is something that's useful. And I think you hit on two key things. <laughs> First is just not yeah. being afraid to give feedback, even if it's not your yes. expertise, um, but sharing through the lens of your unique perspective, because you're right, like creatives are in there all day doing stuff and they come from, you know, a, a kind of a biased view of the world or the project. Yes. And so being able to give that feedback and just, just doing that is, mm -hmm. is essential. Yes. I think it's, also ensuring that the second part of that is making sure you over-communicate what you do know and being clear on the value you bring to the creative process as yes. the organization. And even identifying yeah. that up front and saying, okay, you know, you guys are the expert on this and that, but we're the expert on this, this, and this. So we're going to clearly have those defined almost swim lanes so that yeah. as you're working through projects, you even have pre-permission to contribute in the way that makes the most sense, but you're also giving the agency or the creative pre-permission to say, you know, like I'm the decision maker on this part of the process and can yeah. kind of uh, work more seamlessly. I've seen that that become really valuable um, as you yeah. work with creatives. Yeah. And I think in nonprofits, you know, because they don't get to work with a lot of agencies, that there's a lot of expectation that I'm going to produce the perfect product on the first go. 
know? And it's like, well, no, it's a creative process and we all work on this together. And, but yeah, there's a lot of expectation that's like, well, why do we have to tell them this thing? And it's like, well, it's because we're working on the first time together, you know? So I think that's interesting too. It's a lot of expectation of like perfection from agencies and from your creative team and that, yeah, we're creatives, right? Like at the end of the day, like we're still, we love to create and we love ideas and we love to try things. So it's, yeah, I think it's an interesting partnership. Absolutely. And I think we've spent a lot of time talking about like the creation of something, whether it's a story or you even talked about like a video series that you're working Mm -hmm. on. But I know that's only part of the equation. And at Virtuous, we've talked a lot about that. The fact is that anything needs attention on something. You don't create it and then people are like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Let's engage with that. You actually have to earn the right to have someone's attention. And we feel Mm -hmm. like attention is actually one of the most valuable currencies today. Um, However, earning that attention is really hard because it's fractured. There's lots of competition. So what should nonprofit leaders be focused on amidst this reality? Oh, man. It is that it takes more money than you ever thought it needed to get attention now. Um, Because of the great economy, um, there's just a lot of money flowing to everything. A lot of money flowing to, yeah, paid outlets, to um, people taking more vacations. Like, it's just people are spending more money and spending less time on these, you know, kind of discovering new things when I think, you know, in, in nonprofits. And a lot of nonprofit communications do have to be discovered a certain way that you have, that a person is seeking to pay attention to an issue, right? So whether their, their aunt is diagnosed with breast cancer for the first time and they need to, you know, they need to do something about it and they find a breast cancer organization or, you know, they're really upset about the koalas getting burned in Australia and they need to find a nonprofit. Um, I think that, that often that discovery is very limited now and that you really do have to push and pay to get attention to buy attention. And, um, it's really hard. And I think it's more than, it's so much more expensive than anybody ever thought it would be, um, from a nonprofit side. Sure. Um, so I think that's part of it. Yeah. Well, and, and I, and I, I feel like that's really discouraging news <laughs> to most nonprofits because it's a bummer. Many, many nonprofits don't have the, you know, the budget or resources to be able yeah. to almost compete in kind of that complex kind of purchasing push environment. Yeah. So how, how and maybe, maybe the answer is you don't know, but, it's just, but yeah. what would you say to those individuals? Like where they're like, okay, yeah. Don, like, should I just pack it up? You know, like, is it, is it over? You know, yeah. because I think the trends are pointing to like slips in donor retention and like organizations are having a hard time funding their causes. They can't, and I think it all relates back to this issue. You know, more people are opting out of the charitable ecosystem, according to reports. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, what, what does that small mid shop do? You know, what is, what yeah. can they do? Yeah. I think it's about really engaging the base you have and really valuing every person who gives you their attention. Right. Um, and that is through email and it is through smart, smart campaigns, digital campaigns. And it's still always about being clever, you know, that content is still King and that, um, being clever works. 
works. And, you know, but really knowing your audience, really communicating with them with frequency and consistency, um, that that's one thing we really see when BCDC Ideas gets involved with the nonprofit because we bring that frequency and consistency in their communications is that it impacts their fundraising by 10 to 15% just because there's a consistent reminder and value built in their constituency that um, to get that attention is, is you have to build value and you have to say that we are the best nonprofit doing this and this is all the things we're doing this is all the amazing ways that your donations are making a difference. And yeah, it's through consistently um, touching your base and just constantly bringing them value. And, and you said something that's so important nowadays, and we echo this um, often here at Virtuous, is that like, even if the acquiring new donors or reaching new donors, which I think is like the sexier side of fundraising. Sometimes everyone likes talking about it, Yeah, but there are other growth levers that you can tap into. And so I always say, you know, acquisition is definitely important. It's, you know, you need to identify ways to be able to acquire and bring new donors into your organization. But the Mm -hmm. other two, which is like retention and cultivation, I believe have a ton of untapped untapped value. And so that's our recommendation to small orgs is like, and medium-sized org is how do you invest in the current donors that have given to you, even if they didn't give it to you last year, like you still have engagement or connections with people that are close and working those. And you mentioned two other words like consistency and frequency. And those are so neglected. Like we were analyzing, um, we are surveying a group of individuals and asking them like how many people follow up in the first 40 days 45 days of a when a new donor gives to you. Like what does that look like? Like how are you communicating? And I think it was only four or five had like a deep strategy on how they were onboarding people and communicating to them in the organ, hmm. like into the organ. Yeah. And it's like, this was a, a forward thinking group of individuals that work at organizations yeah. that are thinking about digital and other things. And they're still not doing some of these basic kind of first principles. Like, what is your yeah. purpose? Who are the people? How do you bridge the gap between those and actually have the systems that create yeah. the frequency and consistency. And so I do think there's some easy wins that organizations can do by just kind of turning inward and saying, you know, who are our supporters? How do we communicate to them in a consistent and frequent way? Yeah. And I think that's, and that's a difference of, you know, from for-profit sales to nonprofit donations is that, you know, that our, our widget that we're selling in nonprofits is people is relationships. And, that sure it feels better to have more people to have relationships with, but it's more successful to have relationships with people who are valuable and who are consistently in love with your brand. And that's what communications can do. Right. And it's about building better relationships with your base. I I agree so much. And that's, you know, what we focus on here. And we believe, you know, even something like we've developed with responsive fundraising, it's all about this idea of like, how do you build more personal relationships at scale? Um, And it really comes down to this like hand-to-hand human contact, which technology can help empower you to do, but it does come back to you're building better relationships with your current Mm -hmm. supporters. And you said something else that reminded me, um, I, I heard a consultant say one time, is that if you really think about the, 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 the exchange of value between a nonprofit and a donor and getting pragmatic about it is that they're giving you money and the only thing they're getting in exchange directly is your organization's communications. 
And so in some yeah. ways, like the donation is kind of being exchanged for you communicating to that individual about like what you're using the money for, about the programs that you're investing in, you know, mm-hmm. the, everything that you're doing. But if you truly rip everything away, the exchanges, they're giving you money in exchange for communications and connection to a cause. And so prioritizing that as an organization and seeing that as what is being exchanged is so important. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a feel-good feeling. And, and knowing that their investment and their money is making a difference. Yeah. And I think if you look at some of the trends that say, like, why do people keep giving versus why do people stop giving? If you, again, summarize it up, it's really about the communications and the connections that supporters feel uh, with your organization, which is two things that, you know, you can do through communications. So Donna, another thing, which is actually how you and I were introduced, is that you not only run an agency... But you also have produced now a gathering for the, I think, at least five years. You're coming up on your fifth year where you're bringing nonprofit communication people together. Like, what sparked that vision? Like, why is that so important? And and tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we created the Create Good Conference in Durham, uh, North Carolina, uh, to bring together around 200 nonprofit communicators from all over the country to hear um, from other nonprofit communicators who are also in their shoes. And we really started it because we, we love, we love conferences. It's fun to go to conferences and learn stuff, but we really were finding that the nonprofit specific conferences were focused on different education areas, right? So, um, you know, it was either about fundraising. So there's very good opportunities for folks to go to a conference around fundraising. There's very good opportunities for folks to go to nonprofit communication or conferences around technology. So there's, there's there, but then, you know, it was always a subtrack. It was always this like one opportunity of a couple sessions to talk about communications. And we just didn't feel like nonprofit communications was getting the attention it needed. And also just, I I never felt at home at those other places. I felt that my personality type was different than folks who are into nonprofit technology or, or fundraisers and that it wasn't my people. Like <laughs> you know, I would go and I'd be like, this is cool. And then the people I did like, I'm like, Oh, what do you do? She's like, Oh, I'm a communications director. Like, Oh, that's, this, this is why this is happening. So, um, so yeah, so we started create good to gather people together and, um, yeah. So it's become this annual gathering of folks who are, yeah, we all love this work. We love storytelling, um, you know, that, and we bring in the top kind of news story of the last year um, to be our keynotes, to share what they've learned from these amazing communication opportunities in the last year. So this year we have Planned Parenthood's uh, VP of Communications and Culture coming to talk about their 2019. So major leadership transition um, strategically being targeted by government to dismantle access um, to their organization, but also to services for women across the country. And in previous years, we've talked to um, RIASIS, which was the organization that was first on the ground um, of helping kids on the border and families on the border. Um, before that, we talked to um, the Human Rights Campaign around the day that they turned Facebook red. And so it's these like amazing stories to learn from other nonprofit people 
And to honestly just, yeah, hang out and be in a space that fits your personality and fits your interests and fits your passion. So it's, yeah, it's really fun two days. Um, it's something that we do pretty much pro bono. Like it pays for itself. We don't make any additional money off of it. And it's, um, yeah, it's our only pro bono work that we do all year, you know, cause we do work with nonprofits and we keep our, our margins very slim. So it's our great opportunity to give something back. Indeed. And there's no substitute for colliding with like-minded professionals, especially yeah. those that are dealing with like different types of challenges, but the underlying threads are similar. And being able to even have someone say like the opportunity to be like, oh, like you also struggle with that? Or how did you navigate exactly. this? Or like, yeah. oh, I'm not crazy is something yeah, that yes. I think is so important because yeah. ultimately like a, a lot of communications people within nonprofits don't necessarily have a huge team of people yes. and they might be the only one yeah. and being able to learn from others is so essential to growth. Yeah. So I think it's an incredible opportunity um, and excited to continue to see it, it grow. It's interesting the conversation too, that of growth versus um, cultivation, right? That it's, it's always 200 people. So, you know, it's, it's for us, it's about people who want to be there. And so, yeah, it's interesting for that too. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I mm-hmm. think that leads to kind of where I want to uh, land because I know you've been on the agency side for 10 years, but you spent some time in an organization. If tomorrow you took over as the VP of communication for a nonprofit today in 2020, yeah. what would you prioritize in your first 60 days? Like what would your 60-day roadmap look like as you were entering into an organization? It would be getting video, yeah, video content short up. I think that's one thing that, um, it's here. Video is critical to communicating both to donors and to the constituents and to finding new people that that's how people are discovering everything right now is through video. Um, and then I would look at their, I mean, I would look at figuring out how to do a paid strategy, you know, and how to build that, build the new names through paid strategy. And that's the thing, right? And that's where the money really comes in and getting that attention is for new folks. Um, And then you can go to organic outreach once you have them. Um, But those would be the two big things. And then also just making sure that the people are happy and that the people who work there are happy. I think Mm -hmm. that communications does have a cool opportunity to bring the fun element back to people's work, no matter how hard and sad and depressing they feel that their issue is. That, you know, that nonprofit communications should bring this sm- a smile to people's faces. They should want to open that email because they get to see a cute cat or know that their dollars are making a difference in somebody's lives. And that just bringing that sense of joy to this work, no matter what you're working on, would be the third thing that I'd work on. Yeah. So investing in kind of a video capability, stories, yeah. et cetera. Um, figuring out your acquisition strategy, maybe leveraging paid, because yeah. obviously that's yeah. the only you know more scalable way. But then also yes. looking at people, I think that's that's great advice and practical. So I appreciate yeah, um, yeah. that summation. Well, I'm always grateful for the time, Don. I wish we had more conversations. I know there's probably a bunch of other <laughs> things that we could talk about. Um, but again, I just appreciate your expertise and thanks for joining us. Of course, yeah, this was great. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by 
virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You also get the Responsive Fundraising Playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. Oh,